So, Lord, we don't want to hear my words, my thoughts, or my opinions. We just want to hear what you've got for us. Thank you for interrupting our flow so we can submit to yours. Do what you want to do in this house tonight. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A purifying sound. Thank you, Devin. From the beginning of time, God has had one desire. And we've talked about that desire the past 16 weeks in the Song of Songs. That his desire is simply this, relationship with his people. That's what he wants. In the original creation, when God created us, that was the entire design. Relationship. That's what he wants. That's what he wanted. And God has established ways for us to have those relation, that relationship with him. The past 16 weeks, we've talked about he is the bridegroom. We are the bride. We are the church, the bride of Christ. And he has made us worthy to be that bride. He has made us worthy to be the ones he considers himself to be equally yoked to. The scripture says that we are to be, not to be yoked with unbelievers. So God says, I can't marry those who don't believe in me. So let me redeem them to make them righteous. The scripture says, as righteous as God. So that you can be an equal yoke that God says I can link to. Did you hear that? If you believe that Jesus is Lord and you've accepted him as Lord and Savior and you're walking with him, get this, you are as righteous as God. The struggle is not getting righteous. The struggle is believing that you are. Spiritual warfare has more to do with your inward man than Satan. What is warfare? The enemy suggests a thought that contradicts your righteousness. And for your whole life, your struggle, your battle, is not with, do I win a battle over Satan? It's do I agree with what he's telling me or agree with what the Father has spoken over me, with what the Father has given me, his one and only Son that redeems my right to be as righteous as he is. Does that make sense? One way God established the means for relationship in, the, in his people back in the Old Testament days was through many feasts. The word for feast in Hebrew is moadim, M-O-A-D-I-M, which literally means appointed times. So when God, back in the Old Testament, gave the people an order to have seven feasts, it was, I've got seven appointed times to remind you of the relationship that I want with you and point to the one who is coming. Okay? There were appointed times called seven feasts to remind the people of who God is, what his ways are, and the whole point of their creation, which was to have relationship with him. And these feasts are actually laid out in Leviticus chapter 23. And I want to start this message by, by reading the first four verses of this passage. Leviticus 23, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, if you ever want to memorize scripture, just memorize Leviticus 23, 1. Pretty easy. The Lord said to Moses, done. Verse 2, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. 
You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of complete rest, an official day for holy assembly. It is the Lord's Sabbath day, and it must be observed wherever you live. Stop right there. Now, in church, this is the principle that we are taught all the time. A day of rest, a Sabbath unto God, right? God created the earth in six days, and man, and the whole deal. Seventh day, he rested. So that's what we're taught. We have a day of rest. We're supposed to honor it. That's a word for some of you. If you're not taking a day of rest, don't complain about why you're stressed because you're out of order. I've got so much anxiety because you're not operating in how God told you to operate. Day of rest is not optional. It's commanded. Because he knows how you operate at your best with one day of rest. That's a, that's a cool rhyme. <laughs> the next verse is what we haven't been taught. Look at this. In addition to the Sabbath, these are the Lord's appointed festivals, the official days for holy assembly that are to be celebrated at their proper times each year. God told them, in addition to Sabbath, I want you to honor the appointed times. I, I'm not going to get into, should we do the festivals and the feasts? That's not where I want to go. I want to get into honoring what the feasts represent. The Sabbath and appointed times. Okay? I think a lot of times in life we look over the appointed times because we haven't realized how to recognize them. And the Holy Spirit is, have, is trying to walk in relationship with us to get our eyes and ears open to appointed times in our life to say yes to moments that are going to take us into our destiny. For them, he says, I want to start with seven feasts of appointed times. And the feasts were the Passover feasts. Don't put those up yet. Sorry. The Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the, the, the First Harvest, or some would know it as the First Fruits, the Festival of Weeks, the Festival of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Festival of Shelters. Seven feasts. The first feast was Passover. Now, now, now you can throw it up there. They always kid around about how I'm so horrible to them. I'm not horrible to them, am I? Oh, wow, no one, Okay. The first feast was Passover. Passover was, if you remember, the blood from a lamb was spilled to protect the people from the 10th plague when they were in Egypt that was passing over from the death of the firstborns, right? The blood was put over the door, the, 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 door, uh, the, the threshold, and, the, pass, and, and the, the angel would pass over the house, sparing life. So in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, we actually see that Jesus was referred to as the Passover lamb. Because the feast we have right now is the bread and wine or the body and the blood of the perfect lamb that was slain, Jesus. That's Passover. That is God, that is Jesus offering himself as the blood spilled that will cover us from ever having to experience death. That's life in Christ. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. Our Passover feast is not just on resurrection or for you pagans, Easter. That was a joke. Kind of. Not really. We get to feast, <laughs> I'm going to get it, 
We get to feast in Him not just on the appointed times once a year, but our appointed times to feast in Him is actually every moment of our life. We are covered in the blood of the Lamb. We do not have to deal with death. I actually believe there is only one death, and it's not when your flesh dies. It's when old man dies and you are reborn, and physical death is simply transition. You don't die. Your body does, right? We are covered in the blood of the Lamb, and we will never have to experience death with that. So the appointed time of Jesus saving you for the rest of your life, if there is ever a feeling of of death over a thing, you need to look at that thing and put it under submission to the truth that death does not get to whisper to you. Okay? Now, the second feast is the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. I'm going through these because to get into my message, you've got to understand this. The Feast of the Unleavened Bread. For 400 years, the people lived under the tyranny of Moses, and obviously the people wanted to be free from Egypt. They wanted to get into the promised land. God heard their cries, and he raised up a deliverer to to lead them out of bondage. That deliverer was a man named, someone say it, Moses. After they painted the blood over their homes for protecting them from the death of the firstborns, this was the custom of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. They were to use the meat from the sacrifice of the lamb as a memorial meal. Okay? The Feast of the Unleavened Bread, they were having a meal to celebrate life that they, that they were passed over, right? And the meal was the lamb, the meat from the lamb, along with herbs and unleavened bread. Leaven was a symbol, basically, of sin throughout Scripture, throughout custom. So when we see that there is an unleavened, unleavened bread, we're recognizing that Jesus is the unleavened bread offered to us because he was without what? Sin. He was without sin. The unleavened bread festival is represented in Jesus having a sinless life, and we celebrate this perfect lamb. That's why he is the bread of life. We feast on him, not of sin. We feast on the perfect lamb that was slain. He is the bread that we need, that we desire, that will always fulfill us. That's the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Does that make sense? Okay. Then there's the Feast of First Harvest, or some people call it the Feast of First Fruits. What this did was celebrate God giving them, their, giving them the best of their harvest. It was a symbol of giving their best to God, and it marked dedication and fellowship with God. So the Festival of First Fruits, Jesus is described as the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. He was resurrected from the grave, making way for a spiritual harvest. He was the first of many to be raised from the grave. So he was the first fruits of a coming harvest of many people being redeemed. He is the first to defeat death, and in him we now have power over death, hell, and the grave, represented in the one who defeated it. Okay, He is the first of many. The harvest is that many of us will never have to say yes to death. That is the harvest. Souls redeemed. People saved. Okay? So we have the Passover. We've got the unleavened. We've got the first fruits. And then there's a fourth feast, and this is where we're stopping tonight. The Feast of Weeks, also known as, starts with an S. Anyone know it? Shabbat. Shabbat. 
Shabbat. It's all the same. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Now, with this, I want to bring attention to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15 through 16. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you bring the bundle of grain to be lifted up as a special offering, count off seven full weeks. Keep counting until the day after the seventh Sabbath, 50 days later. Then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. This was 50 days, not after Passover. This was 50 days after the feast of the unleavened bread. And during this time, several sacrifices were made during this festival. This time was not just known as the, the Feast of Weeks, because there was a lot of weeks, or Shabbat, Shabbat, however you say it. Yep. This was also known as Pentecost, a word simply meaning 50. Side note, the devil can't come up with nothing. What is the symbol of Satan in pagan culture? The pentagram. Five. And then the, the degrees of ten around the five. He can't even come up with something. He's got to pervert something that's good. Pentecost. Fifty days after the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. It was a festival celebrating God's provision in the wilderness, bringing many grain offerings from the harvest known as the, the, the Day of First Fruits. So Pentecost was the celebration of while they were in the wilderness, he provided, he provided, he provided, he provided. So for weeks, they would give God offerings. Does that make sense? <clears throat> Grain offerings from the harvest. Now, this was an appointed time. Remember that, remember that phrase, appointed time. This was an appointed time where everyone would come to Jerusalem. And they were coming to bring offerings. They were coming to, to honor the appointed time. All of Israel would gather in Jerusalem. And even today, Jews mourn the death of many during the plagues. Even today, during this time, there's no haircuts, there's no weddings, there's no celebrations. It's a time of mourning. They would prepare to bring all of these offerings and all of these sacrifices to Jerusalem. For the appointed time. And at this appointed time, when all of God's people were appointed to come to Jerusalem, something happened. It was an appointed time where everyone would come to the city and God was going to use that appointed time to do something that will reveal him to everyone. In Jewish tradition, this marked the time when Israel received the law. But now, what we're about to witness is a fulfillment of the law in receiving something else. Acts 2, 1 through 3. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. And then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. So at this appointed time, when all these people were coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost, to honor God for all the provision, you got 120 people 
who were not in the streets going to the temple. They weren't in the streets going to go to bring the sacrifices. They were praying in an upper room because about 10 days before this, Jesus ascended and said, wait for me, I'm about to send you a helper. So even in this moment, they were not giving allegiance to religion. They were giving allegiance to the Lord said, wait here. And as they were waiting the entire time, praising God, devoting themselves to God, 10 days later, at the time of Pentecost, 50 days after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, or 50 days after Jesus was presented as the perfect, sinless, spotless lamb, something happened. And it said that a sound of a mighty wind came blowing into the room. Now, this word for Holy Spirit comes from a word, ruach, which means breath. It means wind. But what I want to point out, something that has been preached wrong for decades, is that in the upper room, we always talk about how a wind came into the room. But hear me, a wind did not come into the upper room. It was a sound like a mighty rushing wind that came into the room. It wasn't wind. Their hair wasn't blowing. I don't know what that's like. <laughs> they were in the upper room praying, and what they experienced was a sound. It was the Father released a sound, and the sound filled the room. It came suddenly, which means there was no signs that it was about to come. All they were doing was praying and seeking and devoting themselves, and out of nowhere, a sound. It could not be seen. It could not be touched. It was a mighty sound from heaven. means it could not be replicated. It was distinguished. It was different. And the sound filled the room. And when the sound filled the room, fire appeared above their heads. It says it looked like tongues of fire. That does not mean that it was what we look at as the gift of tongues came above their heads. No, no, no. The gift of tongues was something that came out of something different. What came above their heads was fire, and the only way they could describe it was it looked like tongues. It was fire that was above them, and it settled on them. Okay? When it settled on them, we have to understand what fire is. The idea of fire is that it's used as a symbol of purification. A refiner, if you will, we've heard of the refiner's fire. A refiner would use fire to make pure gold. Fire burns away all the temporary things and leaves what will last. So sound came and fire appeared and it was purifying them. They were in a purification process because of all that had been done by Jesus. And when the sound came and fire settled... Something was produced from that fire. Verse 4. Everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Tongues is not the thing that appeared above their heads. The purification process that made way for tongues 
was what settled on them. Let me say it like this. Tongues of fire came. There was a purification, a symbol of purity. You have been purified by the spotless lamb because you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. And as this was revealed and the sound filled up the room and there, were, there was a symbol of purification, a new sound was produced. Because what happened in this appointed time is that all these people in Jerusalem heard something that sounded like a mighty rushing wind. It wasn't a sound that just filled the room. It was a sound that they could hear from the streets. And all these people came, and they were like, what the heck is going on up there? And throughout this passage, you can read this on your own time if you want, but basically, they started asking questions, and then Peter stands up, and he starts preaching. You want to know why he started preaching? Because something was produced in him called a new sound. And Peter starts preaching. All the people that came for Pentecost for celebration, they heard it and they got there. What came out of the mouth of, peace, out of, the mouth of Peter in the form of, of a sermon was this. Look at verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, stop right here, brothers, what should we do? I want you to get the significance of this. These same people saw and heard what Jesus said from his very mouth. But what Jesus said didn't get to them. When they heard it from Peter, it pierced them. Why do you think Jesus says, it is better that I go? Because Jesus understands as great as he was and as great as he is, let me say it like that, that if he was going to go, something would be produced in a people that caused the ones that would not accept him to accept him through a different sound out of someone like them. So look at what it says. What should we do? Peter replied, each of you, nothing different than what Jesus said. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Listen to that. It's accept him as your Lord and Savior, repent, and then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In that moment. So anyone that says receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit is separate, you're wrong. However, there is something as being baptized in what you already have. I teach this in our foundations class. When you accept Jesus, you get Holy Spirit. However, you get to decide how deep in Holy Spirit you go. That makes sense? Okay. The promise, verse 39, is to you, your children, to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. And then Peter continued preaching for a long time. So for those of you who rebuked the one-hour preaching, I'm just trying to be like Peter. Strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. At an appointed time, 3,000 were added in a moment. All because 120 devoted people waited until the time for a sound to be released, a fire to purify, and a new sound to be the fruit of the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, what's interesting about this, this is, again, the time of Pentecost. After the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, in Leviticus 23, it actually talks about the instructions for the celebration of Pentecost. It is, and what happened in this time, in the celebration of Pentecost, there was a priest, and he would hold up two loaves of bread. They were lifted up before the Lord by the priest as part of the celebration of all of these special offerings that were coming. What's interesting, are y'all following me? What's interesting is that Israel was forbidden to present offering with any leaven in it. It was supposed to be unleavened bread. But in the day of Pentecost, the priest would take two loaves of bread with leaven. The leaven was lifted up. In other words, the high priest... Who is now our high priest? Jesus lifts up two loaves of bread with leaven, leaven representing sins. He says, I am presenting to you, Father, the leaven of Jews and the leaven of Gentiles. That's good stuff right there. And in Acts 2, because the leaven was presented, we may have leaven but we have the authority to act and produce as if we were without it. Well, I'm just sinful. Not in the representation of Jesus. You may have leaven, but you have the authority as if you had none. You may, you may sin, but sin is no longer the thing that prevents you from operating as a child of God. Because you are lifted up by the high priest and presented to the Lord. In Acts 2, we see 3,000 people of Israel were added. The question is, when will we see everyone get a taste of the unleavened bread of Jesus? It's when a, a people produce a new sound that will purify like fire. Purifying the dividing line even between Jew and Gentile. Because what happened in that upper room, they heard a sound, they were purified, and a new sound was produced. We have a call as the church to let everyone experience this new sound. I was up here earlier talking about releasing life into the earth. No one is going to come to know Jesus if all they hear out of you is the old sound of complaint, of offense, of negativity. That's not going to change anything, and it's not going to purify anything. You know what's going to purify something? When they hear a sound out of a people that was produced from the fire of purification in your life. They're going to hear a sound about how, hey, if you repent, Everything is washed away. They're going to hear a sound of, hey, I know you're doing this, but if you will come to God, he's going to look at you as if you were perfect and spotless and just as righteous as he is. And what the church has done, we've done a great job at highlighting the leaven and a horrible job of highlighting that leaven no longer has authority. Well, you don't know what I've been through in my life. Let me introduce you to a sound that will convince you of who you are despite what you've done in your life. And that sound of edification 
And encouragement is the purifying sound for all the earth and everything in it. <clears throat> Lee got a word in prayer Monday. And I didn't hear about it until Friday, actually. <clears throat> and this was the word. I think I put it up there. It was, I'm bringing fire out of water. And I'm not sure anyone really got the meaning of that. Is that correct? I'm bringing water from fire. I'm bringing fire out of water. She also got a scripture that was pointed out that she said the Lord pointed to Ezekiel 47 and that she didn't have much time to press into it. When I heard water from fire or fire out of water, I was intrigued. So I started reading in Ezekiel 47. <clears throat> Let me show you what it says in verse 1. In my vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on its south side. The man brought me outside the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. And there I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Ezekiel saw something that never existed in the temple. He saw a river flowing from it. And it didn't come from a king's palace. It didn't come from a governmental place. It didn't come from business. It didn't come from the athletic department. It came from the temple. It came from the place where God dwells. In Acts 2, a river started flowing from 120. And the temple was not the upper room. The temple was the people in the upper room. And when that new sound was released and that purifying fire came, something started to flow out of them that was so significant that on a day where everyone was going to a different temple, 3,000 people in a moment said yes because they were experiencing a river flowing from the people. And you want to know why people are not coming to the church? Because the river has stopped flowing. Not because it's not there, but because we haven't given ourselves to it. The river does not flow from, let's get to church. The river flows from, let me submit myself as the temple of God. <clears throat> Joel 3.18 actually prophesied that a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple. This is all prophecy being fulfilled. On the day of Pentecost, the river that was prophesied started to flow. Because what went into these 3,000 people that day was life. Rivers of living water. Now watch this in verse 3. Measuring as he went, he took me along the stream for 1,750 feet and then led me across. The water, now let me stay right here. He didn't just look at the river. He didn't just look at the stream. It says, the man led me 
into it. And what's happened in the church is we'll come to service and we love to look at the river. God's going to do this and God's going to do that and God's going to release this and God's going to release that and God's going to restore the earth and God's going to do this. And you know what the Holy Spirit man is trying to do? Come into the river with me because I'm not going to do it without the people I redeemed to do it through. So he says, he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off, verse 4, another 1,750 feet, led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. After another 1,750 feet, it was up to my waist. Then he measured another 1,750 feet, and the river was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. And he asked me, have you been watching, son of man? And then he led me back along the riverbank. As they followed the course of the river, they didn't just look at it along the stream. He went across and he went in. Don't just watch the water enter in. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and all the way in. And many of us have seen what Jesus has done, but some stay ankle deep in water of thank you for salvation. And it is up to you, as Peter said, save yourselves. You look at the river. You look at the, 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 the scripture says that rivers of, li- of living water will flow from him. So what we do is we come to Jesus in the church and we'll say, I accept you. I accept you as Lord and Savior. And we look at him. And when we say yes, we go ankle deep. And for many Christians, the rest of our lives, we spend time praising God in ankle deep water. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for your redemption. And it's every Sunday the same thing. He saved me. 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 But he does not want us to stand in equal deep water. He wants us to go deeper and deeper and deeper to the point of being fully immersed in water, which is called baptism. So the moment you say yes to Jesus, you step into the river and you receive the Holy Spirit, but you may never experience the fullness of Holy Spirit until you walk all the way in. What is the fullness of Holy Spirit? That you are ready for whatever God needs to do to happen through you, which is symbolic of a river of living water flowing from every place you walk into, every conversation you have, every relationship you build, you have the opportunity for God to say, I want to get my water right there. I'm tired of my job. It needs the water. I'm tired of being in the same place. Why are you there? It needs the river. And when we get tired of a situation and we're all in, swimming, all in the the baptism of God and where he's doing incredible things, when we get tired of being in a place, which the church has done many times, because we go into what we call revival and we see manifestations of God, we see people being healed, we see people breaking through all kind of affliction and disease, we get used to it and you know what we start doing? And before you know it, we're back ankle deep and the river has stopped flowing. 
I don't know about you, but I want to be at a place where I go all in to be fully dependent on his strength to keep me alive in the water. To keep me at a place where everything that I do is for the opportunity for rivers of living water to flow. When we go all the way in, it says that God brought him back to the river. Why did the God bring him back to the river? It was to get his attention as to what the river did. And this is what the river did according to Ezekiel 47 and 7 to 12. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Why was he surprised? Because I hadn't seen anything give life. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. Kind of like the fire did. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of this river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Let me pause there. Why is the earth travailing for the sons of man to be revealed? Because the water it needs to flourish is in us. Verse 10. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea. All the way from Engedi to En Eglam, the, sh- the shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea, just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. I'm going to stay right there. People say, if Jesus has come and redeemed us, why does this world still experience sickness and hurt and pain? Because there will be places who will not accept purification. Verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall. God, let, me, let me just stop right there. Have you ever heard of people say, well, we go through seasons? If you're connected to rivers of living water, you don't have to be guided by seasons. Because you can be in a season of barrenness and still produce fruit. Let me say it like this. The world is in a season. Could have started with COVID, for instance. And everyone retreated. There's no relationship. Everything's going backwards. Prices are skyrocketing. All kind of stuff in the world. And this is what the church does. Oh, we're so affected by this season. It's because you're not in the river. Because where rivers of living water flow, while the earth fades away, God says, I go from glory to glory. The fruit from this tree does not have to fall because I'm going through that season. As I said before, you go from one mountaintop to another mountaintop one way. Down the mountain, through the valley, and back up. But what happens is we don't want to go through valleys because we think if I go through a valley in my life or a low point in my life, it's going to affect me. It's going to go, make me go backwards. It's going to cause me to be depressed and anxious. It's going to cause me to worry. And God says, no, 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 no. Go through the valley and you still get to produce. Yes. 
But I got to get you through that valley to get to the next peak, the next mountaintop. I have plans for you to prosper. I have plans for you to do more in this world. But in order to get there, I've got to take you down sometimes. And it, it may be a time where you're experiencing um, the, the issues of life. Maybe you're experiencing a loss. Maybe you're experiencing a decrease in, 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 in your job. Maybe you're experiencing all these things that feel like a valley. You're going through the hard times. Disease is coming against your family. Uh, um, the poverty is coming against your family. Uh, depression is coming against your family. And God says, you can go through all of that and still be fruitful. Because if you stay connected to the rivers of living water, your fruit and your leaves don't have to fall. Why is that significant? Watch. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown, never fall. They will always be fruit on their branches. They will be a new crop every month. They are watered by the river flowing from the place God dwells, the temple. Why? The fruit will be for food and the leaves will be for healing. Why do you go through a valley? Because you have the thing to restore the valley's needs. You have the food. You have the healing. But what we do is, God heal, God heal, and God says, I'm trying. I want it to be delivered through you. But it's not being delivered because your identity is no longer a tree that has fruit and leaves that do not fall. You've accepted a false identity as a dead tree. The last dead tree we should ever experience is the one that he hung up on. The river flowed from the temple into the Dead Sea. Lifeless waters were healed. Tons of life, fish, it says, came. Sure, there's going to be swamps, there's going to be marshes, there's going to be all kind of dead characteristics, but everywhere else was purified. It says new crops every month because the land was watered by the rivers from the temple. Now, what does that word mean that we got? Water from fire. Let me read John 7, 38 through 39. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declared, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who will be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered in his glory. Fire only comes when we go all in and are baptized in the presence of God. And what comes out of that fire, or the baptism of purification, if you will, is a continued river of living water that all started in the one who redeemed us and purified us. See, we pray for fire, but we don't realize that the point of the fire is to give way for more river. The point of you being purified is for the streams to flow to more places. So in the upper room, the river flowed from the fire in that it produced a new sound that the people of Jerusalem would finally agree with. Have I lost y'all? They heard Jesus, but when they heard Peter, they said yes to Jesus. 
this river, this new sound, should bring new crops. Like on the day of Pentecost, these 3,000 people harvested. Remember what Pentecost was? It was, we're going to bring all these offerings to God because of what he did for us in the wilderness. You know what the offerings are for them at Pentecost? 3,000 people. And I think the church has got more obsessed with, you know what, i got to get my tithe right. i got to get my serving right. I've got to get my church attendance right. i got to get my prayer life. But when was the last time you brought someone that needed water? Because that's the harvest he's waiting for. And I'm going, to, I'm going to prophesy this, that from this moment on, this, this house is going to embrace a level of evangelism that we've never embraced before. And evangelism is not handing tracts out on the street. It's we are bringing the river everywhere we go. That when we go into our coffee shops and restaurants and Thanksgiving dinners and Christmas and all that kind of thing, it's, it's not let me show them how good I am. It's let me extend the river that's going to bring life to the dead places. I don't know how I deal with people I don't like. This is how. You see them as, as dry places that need the river that you so call carry. And the purification of your mind by way of fire being renewed in the Holy Spirit produces the water. The living water that flows from the temple, the people of God. He wants a people to let the river continue to flow. And I believe that river is in the purifying, purifying sound of a people who say yes and jump in the river. When we are purified in the fire, something produces out of us that people connect with that they never knew they needed. The purifying sound of water that's flowing into everything we do, the way we respond to people, the culture we bring. <laughs> Teenagers, listen to me. You're in high school and middle school because it needs the river that's in you. Unfortunately, you're in agreement with the dam blocking the river. You know what the dam is? Culture. Now, we say amen to these students, but let me talk to the adults. You're in your occupation because it needs your river. But what you come into agreement with and obsession with is the dam of I don't like this environment. You shouldn't. But the environment needs the water that should flow from the way you respond to your boss. The way you respond to coworkers. Why would prodigals return when they don't like the sound they're returning to? Purifying sound. We are water from the refiners. The we are the water from the refiner's fire. And we've got to go get them. We've got to bring the water to them. So this is what I wanted to do tonight. <clears throat> there was little vials of oil that we gave out. <clears throat> I believe on this Pentecost weekend, there is a call to anoint 
every single person in this room to be ready to carry the river as soon as you walk out of here. There's no power in the oil. It is a symbol of agreement to say, God, I'm ready to take the river. I'm ready to be the thing that is purified by fire to affect everything I come in contact with. So here's what we're going to do. Let's stand with me. Come on, Jacob. <clears throat> Jacob's going to, I believe he's going to sing a song. <clears throat> and the lyrics are very simple. And I, I, want, I want, this is very intentional. It's, I want to go ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, all the way in. Can we say that with me? I want to go ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, all the way in. So as he starts to play, you can do this with maybe just, if you want to do husband and wife, maybe your family, maybe you just want to get a group of three or four people around you, and it's a very simple gesture. I want you to take the oil and put it on the hands of those next to you and, and lock in agreement and say, we are committed to being the river of living water flowing into every place we walk into. That we want to go ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, and all the way in.